Amen, amen. Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It is so great to see all of you. And is our Lord Jesus not worthy of praise and honor and glory? Oh, he is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And uh, let the incense of our prayers, of our praise, of our gratitude, of our joy rise up to him. Amen? He is so good. He's so good. My name is Matthew. If uh, you are new here today, welcome to New Hope Church. We're just delighted that you're with us uh, on this uh, early fall Sunday. It's great to connect with you. And uh, if you're part of our online community, welcome to New Hope Church right here in Minneapolis. I know a number of you are scattered far and wide, and it's great to connect with you. And we're just delighted that you're with us here uh, with us here today. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, uh, by the way, our student ministry right now, so I'm going to pray for them in a minute. Uh, they are at Camp Chaminade up in western Minnesota, uh, meeting with Jesus and a whole lot of other students from around the region. And so I want to pray for them uh, and for our time here. And I'd like you to lean in. Uh, but let me tell you something uh, as we uh, begin to pray and as I transition here in a second to this message. God wants to meet you, and he's got something to say to you here today. And I want you to be ready to receive it. I want you to have an imagination for what God will do and how he will speak through uh, this message into your soul. And some of you, some of you, please hear this. You're going to hear today something about God's heart for the nations, and God may use this very message to motivate you to be the next generation of missionaries or missionary supporters. I want you to be open to that. Would you be open to what God might do? All right? Let's pray right now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together in the name of Jesus. We praise you, praise you that we can cry out to you in worship. Oh, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Lord, we want to pray for all of our students that are at Camp Chaminade right now. We know these kinds of weekends are uh, such where uh, some will find Jesus for the very first time, and we pray it will be so. And we ask God of heaven that others will, will have a strong sense of your presence and the unfolding purposes that you have for them. Make it so, and bring them back safely to us, Lord. And let them continue to enrich our church family. Now, right now, Lord, you're going to speak to us. May we each and every one, wherever we find ourselves in this room or perhaps listening digitally right now, may we lean in and hear from you because you have something to say. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are wide open, and hands that embrace you, O God of heaven. Make it so we ask in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. So uh, just a few weeks ago, you've heard this, I'm sure, a few weeks ago, a massive earthquake struck the land of Morocco. How many of you heard this? You saw this in the news, right? I need to let you know my heart is completely broken about this, and this entire tragedy has stirred within me. Uh, many memories as well as longings. You see, 35 years ago, I was in Morocco. Indeed, I was in one of the villages that now today is completely gone. I spent a lot of time there. 
And it was there 35 years ago that God met me in a special way and confirmed my call to be a pastor. And so I've been looking at, at these videos and pictures, I mean, just ravenously looking online at the videos and of the photos of these villages and of that one village, and my heart has been seared because I've been in that place. I know those people, and that has such a special spot in my own life. One poignant memory for me when I was there was of this local man, a, a villager, a Moroccan. He was a Christian, which was remarkable in a country that is uh, predominantly Muslim. He was a Christian, and he took me off into the woods one day from the village. He wanted to show me something, and we went to this, this little barn, and it was one of those plaster-on-stone barns, and, and we, we walk up to it, and we step inside, and and it is, it is nasty. I mean, there's critters and manure and flies, and it's just, it's a barn. And we, we stepped inside of it, and we stopped, and our, our eyes kind of adjusted to the light, which was relatively dim in the room. And, and, and sure enough, on the wall, he pointed, and on the wall was, was an outline of a cross that was bright white in contrast to the weathered walls of the plaster going around the rest of the small building because at some point in time a cross had hung there and as the sun would reach its rays into that room and bake those walls behind that cross, the plaster was preserved, but then at some point the cross was removed, but you can still see the outline. And my friend told me, he said, centuries ago, long before Morocco, fell into the trap of Muhammad and Allah. This was a church, not a barn. Christians had worshiped there. I want to ask you a question. Can there be new hope for the nations? Does Yahweh have the power to bring new hope to the nations. Look at this question right here behind me. Shall the brightness of the cross stand out against the weathered wall of broken humanity? Will the nations be made new and find hope? And what part might you play in that? What part could I play in that? Well, the answer is a resounding yes, that there is hope for the nations. It is true. There is a true promise embedded within the Word of God. Indeed, the Scriptures are replete with promises of new hope for the nations, the tribes, the peoples, the languages. There is an imagination, a dream, that the nations and tribes and peoples and languages will gather around the throne, around the Lamb, and cry out, worthy, 
worthy, worthy. It will happen. It can happen. It must happen. There is hope for the nations. And the promises are many. One of them is found in the prophet called Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 and following. You'll see it here on your screen. And I want you to just look at it as I read it here. God says through Isaiah the prophet, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his wall. And right here we have a promise. It's a prophecy from Yahweh, the great I am, the God of the universe, who says, as he looks at the weathered wall of broken humanity, I've got one that I'm sending. My promised servant. And he's going to come and he's going to make all things right and new. This is a marvelous revelation for you and me. But friend, hear me, before we explore further the revelation given, we have to consider the review of things that Yahweh offers. You see in the previous chapter, the final verse, Isaiah uh, 41 verse 29, we read this, Behold, they, he's looking at, God is looking at the weathered wall of broken, sinful humanity. He says, behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. He's talking about a people that see themselves as idols and make nothing but idols. This is the collusion of the world and the flesh and the devil coming together And God's assessment is it's just all an empty wind. Scholar Alan Redpath offers this insightful commentary. He says, the world is still making every effort to put the best possible show upon its worship of the creature and not the creator. Do you hear that, church? That's the way of the world, and oh, apart from Christ, that's the way of Matthew, St. John. How about you? And we work for nothings and pursue empty things. Oh, do we need a Savior. Oh, do we need new hope. That's the review, but thankfully there's that revelation that I read a moment ago. 
with that view of things in mind, God says, but I've got a promised servant who's coming. And he will make all things new and good and beautiful and true and real. When I look at the passage that I read to you from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, there's a number of things that that we can talk about, but three of them instantly come to my mind. Allow me a moment to share those with you. The first thing that comes to my mind, we see it in verse 1, is that this promised servant will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will have the Holy Spirit overwhelming him. In fact, in verse 1, the text, the text tells us there in verse 1, uh, it, it, says, it says, I, that is, that, that is to say Yahweh, the great I am, the eternal God, I have put my spirit, that is the Holy Spirit of God, upon him, that is the promised servant. Later, we would know him as the only begotten son. And right here in Isaiah 42, in this one phrase, we have this powerful Trinitarian expression, Father, Servant, Spirit. It's incredible. And we can talk all day about that Trinitarian expression, but for our purposes now, I just want to highlight that this prophesied servant is filled with the Spirit of God. And it's through the power of the Spirit that he shall work and bring forth God's glory and our good. He's marked by the Spirit of God. A second thing we note from these verses that I read is that despite the way the world works, hear me, hear me now. Despite the way the world works, this promised servant will come gently, humbly, mercifully. Verse 2 suggests to us that he's not going to be one that brings a lot of attention to himself. And indeed, we also see, oh, please hear this, that that which is broken and bruised and burned out He will tenderly renew. And you know what? That includes you. Do you hear this? That includes you. It includes me. Broken? Bruised? Burned out? Tender renewal. A burning wick? faintly burning weak, he's not going to snuff out. A bruised reed, he's not going to crush. He doesn't do that. A third thing that I see is this promised servant has this incredible heart for the nations. In the verses read, we see illusions, the nations, the earth, the coastlands. Those things together work to give us this this global imagination. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, 
This is remarkable. The beating heart of God for the nations. His desire that the nations could be made new and find hope. A desire so strong, a desire rooted in eternity past. So much power is behind this desire that here in this prophet's book of Isaiah, Yahweh, the great I am, says, yeah, and don't forget the nations. And my promised servant is going to come, and he's going to give them hope. And you know, he might use you for that. And me. Now, there are other things to share from Isaiah 42, but for our purposes, let's move forward. In fact, let's move forward 700 years. 700 years. 700 years after the prophecy given in Isaiah that promised servant walked the dusty trails of Galilee and Judea. His name was Jesus. The one who was chosen and anointed by God to redeem sinners and make all things new. The one who lived a sinless life was betrayed by a friend, arrested by the authorities, tried by a bunch of manipulative braggarts, tortured, crucified on a cross, left dead. He died there. Three days later, he rose from the dead alive. Praise God, he's alive. Then he ascended into the heavenly realms, and now he sits at the right hand of his Father, pleading for the saints. And one day he shall return in triumphant glory. And because these things are true, hear me, church, sin and death and the devil, all the things of empty wind, none of it has the final say. None of it does. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This promised servant came, hear me now, and he presented himself to the people of Israel, the house of Israel. And you know what they did? They rejected him. It's the testimony of the Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 14, says it this way. This was their response. The Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus how they might destroy him. And so what does Jesus do? Well, this is a definitive moment in the history of the gospel story. And it is also part of the plan of the ages. Jesus loves the people of Israel, but he says, you know, until you figure things out, understand, I'm also going to the nations. You see, Jesus isn't just here for the select few. He came for the nations. He came for every nation and tribe and people and language. And you know what the culminating testimony is according to Matthew? Well, it is that 
that in Jesus the nations will hope. In Jesus the nations will have hope. We'll reflect on that again in a moment, but I want you to see uh, this this, uh, statement from my friend. He's now with the Lord, scholar Stanley Toussaint. Look here. He says, in the face of rejection by the nation of Israel, Matthew, by messianic prophecy, here in Matthew chapter 12 in the New Testament, prepares his Jewish reader for the proclamation of a universal Savior, a Savior for the nations, just as was promised in Isaiah 42. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 12, we see an extended uh, reflection of Isaiah 42. It's the longest Old Testament quote in the Gospel of Matthew. It happens to be the same passage where Yahweh says, I'm sending my servant for the nations. And so it is then in Matthew chapter 12, verse 21, we see this statement right here. In his name, the nations will put their hope. In his name. Oh, this Jesus. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Is there hope for the nations? According to the testimony of the Word of God, because of Christ Jesus, the nations of the world can and will be made new and find hope. Do you hear that? But so what? What to do about that? What does that mean for you and for me? Well, hear me now. Let's make this really practical. You see, you and I have to take our cues from this Jesus. If we are his disciples, we take our cues from him. Remember, the word Christian, first used at the church in Antioch in the first century, it means little Christs. That means we're supposed to look a lot like him. We need to live, love, and lead like him. Little Christs, taking our cues from Jesus. Well, based on what we just read in Isaiah 42, And those three things that I highlighted, then what do we learn from Jesus that can inform us regarding our role with the nations? Well, here's number one. You'll see it here in front of you. I want to encourage you to capture it, take hold of it. Friends, listen to me. Think of this as a directive to you from me, but more than that, from our Lord himself as he's sitting here with all of us, sharing his heart for the nations. Number one, have a heart for the nations. Those nearby and those far away. Have a heart for the nations. Ask him, Lord, grow within me a heart for the nations. See them. Love them. Go to them. Those that are near and those that are far. See them. And in so seeing, and as we grow this before God and through the power 
that he gives us, let us lay down our skepticisms and fears. See the nations. See the nations right here. Within the Twin Cities, see the Hmong and the Somalians and the Native Americans and the Norwegians, even the Norwegians. The Azeri, let's go around the world, the Azeri, the Mangala of India, the Chinese, the Ecuadorians, those from Zimbabwe, Liberia, Nigeria, the people from Tibet, from Jordan, from Morocco. Let us see them, love them, go to them, be a friend, be a friend. Be a friend to them. Those that are near and those that are far. And when we wonder how, it begins by saying, Lord, help me have your heart for the nations. Give me your heart for the nations. And take the scales off my eyes and the wax out of my ears and help me see and hear and help me to love and help me to go. Now, I want you to hear me on the going. I imagine that there might be somebody listening to my voice right now that God has been saying, yeah, you know, I want you to go actually overseas and serve me as a missionary there. And there may be some saying, yeah, I want you to go across, or God's saying, there may be some for whom God is saying, I want you to go across the street and be a missionary there. Some need to go far. Some need to go near. All need to go. You hear this, church? All need to go. We have to have this imagination here that when we drive out of our parking lot, we are entering the mission field. We have to have this imagination that when we drive out of the parking lot, we are entering the mission field. Secondly, let's see it here. Live humbly, gently, mercifully. Consider what the prophet voices in Micah chapter 6, verse 8 of our Old Testaments, where the question is something akin to how then shall we live? And the answer is, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, can I tell you something? Do you realize that to live humbly, gently, and mercifully is a profound 
Step away from the way the world works. All the angst and the rage in the public square today. Oh my goodness, to live like this is a game changer. Because we're not inclined to live like this. And even the church, there are churches even right here in the Twin Cities that peddle rage as if that's the new fruit of the Spirit. But that's not the way of Jesus. It's not the posture of Jesus. Don't miss what was said in Isaiah 42, verse 2, that he didn't make a lot of noise. He didn't bring much attention to himself. And that which was broken and bruised, he tenderly repaired. And even Jesus later would say, I am gentle. It's not weakness. It is the epitome of strength because anybody can be brawny and flex, but very few can channel their energy and strength in a way that is tender. But Jesus does, and we need to do likewise. It's a game changer. The, The third thing, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit's power. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, if you want to walk in the Spirit, you need to keep in step with the Spirit. Just keep your eyes on Him. Oh, God of heaven, help me to walk in the power of your Spirit today. That's a great prayer as you're getting out of bed. It's a great prayer when you put your feet on the floor Before you stand up, oh, God, help me walk in the power of the Spirit today. And when we do, talk about game changer, then we have the power to walk with humility and the power to see and to love and to go to everyone around us, the nations near or far. And by doing these things, hear me now, you play a part in helping the nations be made new and find hope. So my barber is a Moroccan, and he has a barber shop down on Lake Street. And that's where I go to get my hair cut. And when you walk into the barber shop, the Muslim Quran is playing over the speakers. And I greet my friend with the Arabic, Salam alaikum. Peace be upon you. And he cuts my hair, and we talk about family, and we talk about our lives, our aspirations. He knows I'm a Christian. I know he is Muslim. After the earthquake, the Lord moved me to pick up the phone and call him. The phone rang, and he answered, Salam alaikum. Peace be upon you. 
I said to him, I'm calling because I have to know your family in Morocco, are they okay? And he got really tender. And he said, yes, actually, they are. And I knew this. His family's from the northern part of Morocco. The earthquake was in southern. But you never know with the cross-pollinization of people and vocations. I didn't know exactly if his family would be hurt or not. And so he, thankfully, he said, no, they're, they're not hurt. But, but we, are in, we are distraught. And I said, I am so sorry. And I'm grieving with you. I lament with you. I want you to know that. And the Lord wanted me to tell you My Lord wanted me to tell you that as a Christian, I am praying for you and I'm praying for peace over you and peace for your country and protection and and provision for your people. He got really tender on the phone and kind of broken up. He said, thank you. Does God have the power to bring hope to the nations? What do you think, church? He can do that in grandiose ways, but most often in little moments of being Jesus. In a world that looks like a weathered wall of broken humanity, we can make the cross shine brightly. And we must. Right now around the world, right now around the world, among the nations, there are Christians that are doing exactly what we're doing among the many nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. Some in very modest places, small places, plastered over stone type buildings in the middle of nowhere. Some in large assemblies. And many around the world right now are celebrating communion. And the reason they're celebrating this beautiful and best and refreshing moment is because they know that in Christ we can be made new and find hope. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he and his disciples gathered in a borrowed dining room in the city of Jerusalem. And there they celebrated the Passover feast, the high watermark of the Jewish calendar. And in the middle of the meal, Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he passed it to his disciples and he said to them, this is my body broken for you. Now the disciples were greatly perplexed by this. What is this strange statement? Because what they knew for the Passover feast was the breaking of bread was an expression of unity. Jesus took it somewhere else. 
And what they didn't know, but Jesus knew, was in a matter of hours, his body would be broken on that cross. And it is remarkable to me that the sinless, holy Jesus became broken so all of us sinful people could be made whole. Do you hear that? Later in the meal, he took a goblet of wine and he thanked his father for it and then he passed the common cup amongst the disciples. And as he did so, he said to them, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it as often as you will in remembrance of me. This was beyond their understanding. You see, for them, that particular cup of the Passover meal spoke of when the lambs of old were slain uh, back in the days of Uh, the Israelites' slavery in Egypt, the the blood of those lambs covering the doorposts and thresholds of the homes so that the angel of the Lord could pass over those homes when he mets out his justice against the Egyptians. But what Jesus is saying is, yeah, that blood was sufficient for the moment. Hear me, church. That blood was sufficient for the moment. My blood is sufficient for eternity. And that blood bought a season of freedom. My blood washes away sin for eternity. Those lambs were true, but I am the truest lamb of God. And you've heard me say so many times, I'll say it again. There is no more precious commodity in all of time and space than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you have there in your hands the elements. And as we continue to worship here, the great I am, Yahweh, the Jesus who has come to make all things new and right. In your own moment, in a spirit of confession and gratitude, you take that bread and you drink that cup and you glorify his name.